0: June 18th, 2023. This morning I'd like to talk about uh, the first of uh, what will hopefully be a few classes. This will be the introduction to them. I entitled it "Agada and Halakha, Life and Law. And uh, in a few moments we'll try to develop exactly why it's entitled that and how, in my mind, this concept, this thought uh, lays the groundwork for a richer and fuller conversation about Halakha as it has been as it, should been, as it should have been, as it will be. And for this specific class though, I want to just introduce you to what, what, what birthed for me the concept. It was a, a few months ago, I was in my favorite bookstore in Borough Park. It's called Beagleisen. Beagleisen has a storied history in my family. Because Mr. and Mr. Beagleisen, they were brothers who founded the uh, store on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. My father, when he was younger, used to uh, purchase books from them on the Lower East Side of, Ma- of Manhattan. Uh, they were a, a historic and famous bookstore. And then maybe 10, 15 years ago, when I got introduced to buying books and interest in them in sefarim, I found their bookstore in Borough Park. Again, it's a famous store. And met the same men who, when my father was younger, he experienced them as being ancient, old men. And there they were. And I was talking with them and discussing books with them and came and told my father about it. He couldn't believe it, couldn't believe the same men, the tall, skinny man, Mr. B. and then his shorter the, the brother, Years later, was still there. Anyway, I developed with their son, in turn, a close relationship, Aaron B. And it was a few months ago that I was in the store, and Aaron B. showed me a book. It was called Shaf V'yativ. Now, he shows me many books when I come. He makes me feel very special, and as a result, he makes a lot of money off of me. But this <laughs> specific book, Shaf V'yativ, he knows who I am, he knows uh, what I do. Shaf V'yativ was a book which had Sefer Tihilim in it but in addition had a good hundred or so pages on Tihilim. Now, not on the words in Tihilim, but on the Halakhot, on the Midrashim, on the interpretations of Tehillim from a rabbinic vantage point. And so I said, it's an interesting book. He says, specifically interesting and important for you. So what do you say? So he said, I know you're a Svaradi rabbi, I know you're often at readings, he didn't know how to say arayat of Tehillim. He says, it's probably gonna be very important for you as you're sitting. I said, but I sit and I read Tehillim. So he gave me eyes a little bit and he said, I know. You're probably thinking Torah. You're probably reading Torah than just reading Tehillim on those occasions. So here's a book while everybody else is reading Tehillim. You read Tehillim, you could flip through it and be learning in another way at the same time. And that was the experience and I bought the book. In hindsight, not too long afterwards, I thought about what that meant. I thought about what purchasing this book meant to me and what it represents to a certain extent to many people who buy this book. It's effectively saying that when we read Tehillim, that when we experience the reading of Tehillim, we experience it in ways different than the way we study Talmud. And the reading of Tehillim, which of course is Ashirot v'tishpahot of David HaMelech and others to Akadosh Baruch Hu, it has been, over the course of much time, experienced by us, not as what we would call Talmud Torah, but specifically and only as Tefillah, as praise. And we've divided those two, and it made me, it caused me uh, to stop for a second think about whether that's appropriate, what that means about us as a people, what it means about me. I'd like to, over the course of this class, talk about the significance of that. Uh, just uh, for a few moments to get into it. First, there's a well known Midrash. It's the first source. The Midrash describes how David Hamelech, with his words, Yehi Yule Imrefi, was, so to speak, at least in the eyes of the rabbis, petitioning God, not only with regards to the content of Tehillim, but about Tehillim. In the eyes of the rabbis, David was turning to God and saying, Could it be, please God, that my words in Tehillim be for you and for my descendants? notelin sachar alehim. the final words of this midrash in source number 1 kinigaim veaholot i would like it it would be my wish my hope that when my descendants read tehilim they not only achieve and receive reward for them as praying to you they don't only connect themselves to you in that fashion it should also be The aholot. What the words negaim and aholot refer to? Those are masechtot. Masechet negaim. Masechet aholot. They are very in our day and age, dry masechtot. The masichtot that deal with the halakhot of tumah and tahara, ritual purity and impurity, not all that relevant to you and I today. Very much in depth with regards to the intricacies of laws of halakhah, tahara, and tumah. And the statement in turn, the Midrash, ironically, is David turning and saying, listen, I composed these mizmorim, please God, Let them be not only Mizmorim, let them be, so to speak, what they study in the Yeshivot. Let them be, so to speak, uh, when people read them, let them experience them as, and here's the word, as Halakha. In other words, what this Midrash is already portraying to us is very much my experience in that store at that time. My experience in that store as I bought that book was one in which, well, Tehillim was one thing, it's the way I pray, and all the other books in the store are something else, it's the way I learn. this Midrash is, uh, to a certain extent, looking to blur those lines. It's looking to say that David uh, turned to God and said, let Tihilim be Talmud Torah. I might say it's a minor issue. Uh, First and foremost, I'll tell you, with regards to these classes, it's far from minor. Secondly, historically, this Midrash played a pretty critical role. I'll go back about 150, 180 years, and you're in Eastern Europe, And it's the rise of Hasidut, the uh, individuals and, and communities who are negating the traditional way of life and uh, they were stressing led initially by Baal Shem Tov Rabbi Israel Shem Tov, and his descendants in today's day and age we're familiar with many Hasidim many people know business people in our community know Chabad Hasidut others know Satmar and so many other sects and groups of Hasidim um, Nefesh Hayim, which was written by Rabbi Hayim of Valaj, and he was a student of Gaon Mivilna effectively was looking with this book and his way of life to fight off, uh, to fight against Hasidim. He saw it as an unconventional, not traditional way of life in Judaism and in turn he wrote a book, segments of which were looking to tweak and to make people understand this way of life which is being fed to you might be wrong. One of the trenchant features of Hasidut was the focus on prayer, on song, on happiness, on connectedness to God to the exclusion or without focusing as much on Talmud Torah in its traditional in-depth fashion. So here, in Efesh HaChayim, he addresses this Midrash. And he makes the following point, he writes in Sha'ar Dalid in Perek He says, This is what we're searching for, what we're seeking is to study Torah Lishma. That's the statement of the rabbis in Mas'ach Berachot and Daf Yodzaim, same in the rabbis in Mas'ach Pesachim and Daf and elsewhere. We're seeking Torah Lishma. What is Lishma? Lishma doesn't mean to, to be studying Torah for the purpose of its name. and Perushot de Vekut, it doesn't mean to cleave to God with the purpose of attaching yourself to Him. Sovrim it says the majority of the world now believes so. share Amru Rabotenu Zabamidrash Shibikesh David Hamelachalav Hashalom Milafanavit Parach. She Asek Beitilim Yachaveh Tzoid Parach Kilo Ayah Asek Menegaim Ve'Aholot. Harish Asek B'Halachot Hashas Bei'yon Ve'Gia. It says, Nefesh Ha'chim, it says, you see the Midrash disassociates. On the one hand, it says there's reading tehilim. On the other hand, it says there's studying negayim and aholot. It says, well, pay attention to that Midrash. It's telling you that with the connection to God to be derived from tehilim, It's not the same thing as the connection to God to be derived through study of the Torah, but what was the answer in that Midrash? It was David's request. Says Nefesh HaChim, and you know, the Midrash never records an answer of God to David. It appears as if suggests Rabbi Chaim of Elashin, it appears as if God never positively answered David. And as a result, we disassociate, we distinguish between Torah Lishma, you're studying Torah, you're practicing Halakha, and they are looking for a connection to God through tihili. I, I want to take a step back and just appreciate that for a moment or two more. I want to understand what it means to be an Oved Hashem. I want to think about our own lives. I want to think about different personalities that you and I are familiar with or might be on our own. They're the individuals who are searching for and seeking the inspiro- inspiring speech, the class which is going to walk, they'll walk away from inspired to change their life because they heard words of Musar, because they heard words of what we'll call agada, because they had a prayer, a tefillah, which was inspiring. And then they're altogether different types of people. And generally speaking, these are severed. You don't find people who oftentimes are able to merge the two. There are people who halakha is their driving force and connection to God. There are people who need a class which is going to play with their mind, not with their heart. There are people who want to know and be instructed on how to act. And that's what they're searching for. That's their way to life. That's what we're developing over here. There's a distinction. There's a difference between these two. The Midrash, which has David requesting that Tehillim be combined. Let the niga'im ve'Aholot, the halacha section of Torah be derived through the reading of Tehillim. No answer in the Midrash. It says nefesh ha-haim. there's a perversion of it in our day. It says nefesh you should know the fact that the Midrash doesn't record an answer that's instructive, that's telling you study halacha, Spend less time on the reading and recitation of Tehillim. Now this reading of the Midrash and this conversation in my mind is fortified by a Gemara in Masechet Sanhedrin in source number 12 for a moment. The Gemara Masechet Sanhedrin on Dafsa Zayin has derashot with regards to the Pasuk that describes the Sefardea, the second of the Makot in Egypt. You see the Pasuk describes on the one hand how there were many Sefar there were many, I don't know how we translate frogs throughout Egypt, on the other hand Pasuk says, in the singular. How do you explain the contradiction between was it one or was it many? So there's several interpretations. One of the interpretations of the Gemara, Rabbi Akiva Misraim mm-hmm. says Rabbi Akiva, you should know there was one and it filled all of Egypt. And it, in turn, was able to have come out of it a different... So it started as one, and somehow they spread from it. It spawned, as the kids would say today. The response Bil says to him, in a strange statement, Eddie, remember this one? He turns to him and says, "Akiva, Why are you involving yourself in Agadah? Stop with your words in this context. Go study the halacha aspects of Torah. That's the words I wanted to read. It's the same words we read in our midrash to begin with. The words in the midrash where David turns and says, Can tehillim be ve'aholot? How we understand Nigaim and aholot? Based on this gemara, niga'im and aholot is the halacha domain. In Ka'ish, Ka- wow, that was, uh, that was a strong one. Anyway, so the, the Midrash, in contrasting that to the Sfardea to the in Egypt, well, the Sfardea in Egypt is likened in our context to the Tehillim. It's likened to, well, it's the connection through story. It's the connection through prayer. It's the connection from the emotive side. It's as a result, we might already understand the title to the class. The life and law that I refer to is law being halakha and life being agada. It's the expression through what takes place. It's the expression through the things outside of that structure of do this and don't do that. It's the organic way of our connection. It's the emotional, psychological side of matters. For long, these Gemarot and Midrashim have been describing to us. We've seen them as separate until today. There's the halacha class and there's the agada class. Is that appropriate? Is that the way it should be? In truth, in source number 13, his name was Dayan Weiss in his Sheilot, Tushbot, Minhatitz Haq, in Hailek gima, Siman la Haid. He questions, says, What type of statement was that Rabbil Azab and Azariah to Rabbi Akiva? Rabbi stop with these matters. Go pay attention to niga'im and Aholot. I don't understand. It's all halakha. Don't we need to know it all? Shouldn't we know the halakha and the agada and the midrash and the. We're supposed to know it all? His suggestion is what Rabbi Azab and Azariah was turning to Rabbi Akiva and said. Is I'm nervous that you're that you in turn have certain fears of immersing yourself in halacha. Halakha is instructive in terms of what we do. It might be more dangerous. To determine this is Mutar or that's Asur as a danger because we're gonna take action. Rabbi Akiva, the fact that you're all of a sudden talking about Sefar Daim, maybe you should be focused instead on the more serious matters, the halakha matters. It seems to me, suggests Dayan, Weiss, Rabbi al Laza bin Azaya was saying, Uh, that you're nervous about getting involved in those more serious matters, in those more dangerous domains of halachot of negaim and But what does this do for us, though? What this does for us most significantly, at least in my mind, is create and portray to us a divide. There has been, for a very long time, in the consciousness of Jews who care about Torah and mitzvot, a divide. The divide has been between halacha and Agadah, between what to do and how to determine that, the strict black and white letter of the law determinations and everything else. Who I am as a person, how I connect myself. The reading of Tihilim has become for us, well, that is that stuff, but you want real Torah, you want real halacha? Let me talk to you about Negaim and Aholot. Nefesh to that extent, says the Hasidim, without saying it explicitly, have <laughs> taken Tehillim to a new level, but let me make it clear to you, don't waste your time, so to speak, just on that. Not that he's negating reading it, but he says, focus yourself on the find Talmud Torah through that. And so what I'd like to do over the course of the rest of the class is to talk about this divide. And to talk about A, when at least historically we imagine this divide was created, and B, whether this divide is appropriate. And I'll begin with, for that purpose, source number three. Source number three is a Gemaraim, Masseiche Berakot Daf Dafet. It's a very well known statement, but oftentimes misinterpreted, at least in my opinion. The statement is in the name of Rabbi in the name of Ula, and from Rabbi as what is it from the day of the destruction of the Mikdash? God, so to speak, only has in this world, or in his world, the four amot, the four cubits, six feet of halakha. Uh, Michael, you have a comment on this? No. All right, so so six feet of halakha. What does it mean that he has six feet of halakha from the day of destruction, the Mikdash. Uh, but, well, in halakha, we have a concept of arba amot. Arba amot is the domain of a person. If I were to give you something and you want to acquire it, if I just throw it within four amot of you, you acquired it. That's a kinyan because it's your personal space. On Shabbat, the prohibition in Reshut Tarabim, a public area, is to carry more than four amot. Within four amot, the six feet, that's your space. You're not carrying outside of your space. Four amot means personal space. You're searching for God's personal space in in this world, look for the four cubits, the six feet of halakha. Uh, one second, only from when the destruction, the Mikdash took place? Oh, what's the statement of the Gemara? So oftentimes, people read that Gemara, and this is a point we're going to make, and they say, you see you see what it says? It says you want the real thing? You're searching for God? you need a search for him in halakha and the you need that sort of Talmud Torah. But wait a second, the Gemara does say as well, it's from the day of the destruction of the Mikdash. Well, what does that mean? It says uh, the Rabbi Heschel, Zichron Oli in Sources 4 and 5, he says you have to pay attention to those words. He says those who quote this passage as a statement of disparagement of Agadah, people who believe that this statement is saying, focus on Halacha, not on Agadah, fail to notice that the passage is hardly an expression of jubilation. This Gemara is not saying, wow, so exciting. We'll find God in the... No. Its intention is rather to convey the profound grief at the fact that man's attentiveness to God became restricted to matters of halakha. God is absent in world affairs in the matters that lie outside the limits of halakha. This indeed is why we pray for redemption. The statement he reads in the Gemara is, from the day of destruction of the Mikdash, we no longer know how to find God organically. We've lost track of God in... We can't locate him in the everyday expression, in the prayer, in the walks out in the regular world. It became confined to arba amot shel halakha Not that it's supposed to be just there, but did you know, did you realize, when we lost vision, when the clarity of life was uh, abandoned with the destruction of the mikdash, we in turn are confined, have become confined to finding God, locating him only in halakha. It's along those lines Heschel writes in source five as well to maintain, this is a full essay on Agadah and halakha in source five and between God and man, to maintain that the essence of Judaism consists exclusively of halakha is as erroneous as to maintain that the essence of Judaism consists exclusively of Agada. It says if you believe it's just Halacha or just Agada, you want the real God, the real relationship, it's one or the other. It's a mistake. The interrelationship of Halacha and Agadah is the very heart of Judaism. Halakha without Agada is dead. Agadah without halakha is wild. It's true, Halacha gives us structure, but Agada, as I gave you in the name of the class, gives us life. It gives us our personality, it gives us a relationship, it gives us the inspiration, it gives us the ability to speak to him in this world, to find him in this world. It means then that source number three, the day of the destruction of the Mikdash, is the tragedy with which we began the class in our conversation about Tehillim being not halacha, or the hope that it'll become halacha. Tehillim, which is by definition, the personal expression of each person in David HaMelech uh, to God, well, if that became just and a personal expression, but didn't become and isn't existent as something that rises to Halakha as well, if we can and will distinguish, or we're living an exiled life. The truth is, Ralph Cook makes a major point of this in several places, most notably here in source number six in his Orota Kodish. Ralph Cook, if you take a look on page two in the second paragraph, we'll just read the bolded words for a moment or two. He says, <laughs> He says Torah, that's a reference to Halacha, you'll read in a moment, and Yirah, that's Agada, that's the awe of God, that's the emotive side, Torah, the cognitive side, the understanding side. He says they have to be mitmazig, they need to be um, merged and enmeshed one with the other. If you look at the next paragraph, the first line is the key line Be'emet. Yesh betocha agada tamid tamsitil chatit. Ukmochen ba tochen agadi pinimi. He says you'll always find, you have to look, search carefully, but you'll always find within Agada. within, well, we have to define that word very broadly and we will in a moment, Agada dimensions of halakha. And you'll furthermore find within halakha, Agada as well. Let's work backward. Let's understand where in halakha we find the expression of philosophy. How we find in Halakha, inspiration, how we find in that, generally speaking, a lawyer is not a preacher, a lawyer is a person who determines what to do, it doesn't tell you what to feel or how to understand it, that's that's one dimension that's lost upon us. Go to Halakha class, you study Halakha, generally speaking, you walk out thinking and realizing what you need to do, not who you are and who you should become. You go to a class, alternatively, an agada, an inspiration. You walk out realizing and feeling the person you want to be, but not knowing per se what to do. The statement of Rav Kook, the suggestion of this class through and through, and the several classes to follow, is there needs to be a combination. There needs to be this enmeshing of one and the other. The truth is, going in one direction or another for a moment, there was, there have been times in our history where we've come close to this. There are times that many people look back at and say, I wish it wasn't that way. There are times that we look back at and we say they were dangerous. But for example, we've given many classes on this, on the enmeshing of Kabbalah and Halakha. As he, if you look in Rabbi Yosef Kar or Shohan Aruch's work, *Bet Yosef, you'll find on more than one occasion, not once, not twice, not ten times, 12, many, many times, he takes concepts from Zohar. He takes concepts from the world of Jewish mysticism, which the expressed purpose is not to determine how to act, and he determines, he decides how to act based on that. As someone like Hacham of Vadaya Yosef was very fearful of such approach. an approach. He says, no, we have to distinguish between the two. We have to understand halacha for what it is. We have to understand agada for what it is. Kabbalah might be a Jewish mystical approach to understanding matters. Halacha is what we do. And Maran Rabbi Yosef Karo didn't have that sort of distinction. So much so, and uh, we've talked about this on other occasions as well, he has a book called Magid Me'Sharim. Now he's not codifying Magid Me'Sharim, but he does write it for himself and he does practice based on that. And it's conversations with angelic beings from above in which he's deciding not just how to think, not just how to, how to feel, but how to act as well. There was, for him, a combination, so to speak, between Agada and Halacha. He didn't distinguish between the two. I've on more than one occasion marveled about the fact that the Torah, in many circumstances, teaches us action based on story. Now, you might say, oh, it just has the Torah's method. I would argue not so. Uh, for example, now this is not a, according to Aram Bam, this is not an enduring reason for it, but the Torah does say it as if it is. Uh, we have a fight of Yaakov with an individual. He walks away limping in some way or fashion, and the Torah says, Alken, therefore, lo yochilu, we won't eat from Gid from that sciatic nerve. It's describing an, uh, an experience in life. It's describing what took place, an agadai experience, a life uh, involvement, and then quickly latching it into well, halakha as well. And The truth is we build halakhot in that respect in more, more than a, one uh, situation and place, you have it in the Torah, the Torah where, where the Gemara derives in Masechet Ketubot as a source for Kisui Harosh, for women covering their hair. Uh, from where? Where do the Hachamim derive that from? From a Pasuk and Parashat Naso, Parashat Naso isn't a halacha parasha. Parashat Naso we read two, three weeks, three weeks ago. What's Parashat, uh, parashat Naso about? About the Nisim about the nazir. Oh, there's a little halacha there about the sota. Maybe some. Oh, it's from the sota episode. Now, the pasuk says that the kohen will unbraid, will expose the woman's hair. So the Gemara, you see, that's the pro- proper approach for a woman to have her hair in some way uh, covered. Oh, one second, that has nothing to do with halakha. God didn't tell us that, so to speak, as halakha. He told us matter-of-factly. That's an agada sort of expression in which the rabbis, without any fear, without any concept of it shouldn't be this way, said, oh, we'll derive halakha from this. Of course we'll derive halakha from this. If the Torah is describing a way of life, if the Torah is describing how it is, that is halakha. If tehilim is how I express myself to God, well, that in turn has to be defined as halakha as well. I can't see it any differently. There is a, the Mishnayot in many places, the Gemara Masechit Kitubot as well, Yevamot, and elsewhere has a concept of safek tumah. There's a difference between safek tumah bereshut and safek tumah bereshut rabim. Very briefly explaining it, if you're uncertain if something became contaminated or not, you have particular halachot depending on where the where that item was found. I'm uncertain about the status. Depends where it's found. The derashah, the, the rabbis, is the sourcing for this is as well. An Isha Sotah. But Isha Sotah is not Isha Sotah is about a circumstance, situation. We derive on more than one occasion laws in Torah from a description of how things were. We understand in turn and get a perspective on how to act. Many people would instinctively say you're, you're, you're confusing things. I don't want my lawyer teaching me how to how to feel and I don't want my preacher teaching me how to act. Uh, alternatively, the Torah in its in its uh, its, uh, most pure sense. Uh, The Torah being envisioned as a relationship with God, the Torah being described to us through these passages of the Hachamim, in its ideals, there's no distinction. You need to be, if you do it right, searching for the enmeshing of the two. Now, how, is, how are each of these done? So I'd like to give you a few vantage points for each. But first, uh, the easier way, and over the course of time, very much in line with that Gemara, has been through halacha. There's a certain fear. that you are gonna step out of halacha and you're really gonna determine how to act. Uh, you don't know what to do. Uh, Simon would tell me this on many occasions. I remember these classes. So he's like, if it doesn't say it in the text, how are you deciding what to do? It's it's a proper claim. That's that statement in the Gemara. Once you don't have the revelation, so to speak, it's a a fearful thing. It's a dangerous thing. You're going to determine what to do, how to act based on your involvement in life. Even if Halakha is supposed to be like that, you're really going to do it. And over the course of time, those who did this successfully did it in the opposite direction. They took halacha and they determined philosophy based on it. For example, Rabbi Salvechik was very keen on this sort of perspective. Here in source number seven in his final passage in a book called The Halachic Mind on page 101 to 102, he writes, to this end, there is only a single source from which a Jewish philosophical weltanschauung could emerge. Veltenshag refers to a way of life or your, your perspective on life. He says there's only one source. What's that? The objective order, the Halakha. He says you need Halakha and from there you'll determine what type of life you have. In passing onward from the Halakha and other objective constructs to a limitless subjective flux, we might possibly penetrate the basic structure of our religious consciousness. He says so practice the Halakha, understand the Halakha, look into the Halakhot, and then understand who you are as a Jew, but you can't stop there. We might also evolve cognitive tendencies and aspects of our world interpretation and gradually grasp the mysteries of the religious halakhic act, problems of freedom, causality, God-man relationship, creation, nihility, I don't know how to pronounce that word, would be illuminated by halakhic principles. A new light could be shed on our apprehension of reality. What he's suggesting is something that we search for. Uh, It's when we stop and we say, so why am I doing this? What does this mean to me? How does this determine what it means to be a Jew? I know I'm doing this. Is this the appropriate thing to do? Is this the wrong thing? It just came up a few days ago, and maybe it's worth a full class. Uh, The question of, for example, Shilua hakan, sending away a mother bird. Uh, So the Torah describes this in Parashat Ki and the question is, well, hey, what's the purpose of sending away the mother bird? Well, the Torah says so that you can take the babies. Uh, Number one, what does that teach me about? Is, Is it just an act? Does it mean I need to be taking the babies and eating them? What sort of expression does that have in my life? How does that change me as a Jew? Is it just a mechanical action? We can't imagine as that. There is a statement in the Masechet in in Berachot that seems to suggest in that direction. In other words, any time there is a halacha, there's a necessity to stop and to say, says Rabbi Solovich, how does that impact me? His grandson, my, one of my rabbis and source number eight, Rabbi Meir Twersky, point says you have to understand what Rabbi Salvage was doing over here he wasn't merely saying there is, as Chovot HaLevavot, Rabenu Bahya Ibn Pekuda will tell you, a Chovot HaLevavot and a Chovot HaEvarim. There's not merely a mechanical action, the mitzvot that we do, as well as a philosophical action and an emotional side, what I think and what I feel. It's, uh, in mer- it's, it, it's enmeshing the two, it's merging the two, it's saying, through my actions, I'll find my Chovot HaLevavot. That's novel, but that's only one side of the, sp- of, of the coin. What, what Rabbi Soloveitchik has suggested that we do uh, brings us back to our original Gemara. The Gemara, again, told us very clearly what it, how does it work with regards to the destruction of the Mikdash You want to understanding better? Uh, delve into Halacha. Why so? How am I going to find them outside of Halacha? Halacha gives me structure, Halacha gives me stricture, Halacha gives me di, di, uh, dimensions in which I know what I'm entering into, and then I'll try to glean from that. Everything we introduced though, is in the opposite direction. What do I mean by the opposite direction? Can you go from the Tehillim? Can you go from the Kabbalah? Can you go from the stories in the Gemara, in the Torah? Can you go from your everyday life experiences and determine what it is, so to speak, that Halakha is? It sounds dangerous, it sounds ominous, but that does seem to be our ideal expression. Our ideal is, well, I'm living life. I'm not just following law and hoping to find, find life through that. There's so much so that I would suggest that might be the interpretation to one or two Gemarot. The Gemara in Masechet Sanhedrin and Daph has a funny dispute between Rav and Shemuel. As the question is, why the cre- world was created? Amar Rav, Ivre alma'a, ela le David. Rav's statement is, the world was created for David ha what does that mean? Uh, Shmuel says Moshe. Moshe uh, and Aaron Maybe Shmuel had an affiliation with Moshe. And Yohanan three opinions why the world was created. Now, of course, why the world was created is a simple way of saying something profound. So to speak, how do you get closest to the purpose of existence? So the first opinion, Rav says, David. Says, Rashi, what's David? What are we calling that in this class? Agada. Says, Rav, you want to derive life in its fullest? You want to get to a relationship at its highest with God? David Tehilim. Next opinion, Shemuel says, Moshe. What's the greatness of Sh- Sh- Moshe? Who was Moshe? Bishvim Moshe atid haTorah. He brought us the Torah. Torah milashon Hora'ah. instruction halacha. Bi'ochanan says, for Mashiach. I wonder if that last opinion of Bi'ochanan Mashiach <laughs> brings the first two together. You're searching for both David and Moshe. You'll find that through Mashiach. You'll find that at a time of Geulah. You'll find that when we no longer are severed from the source. You'll find that when life in its organic sense is defining for us what to do. You live life as a person who's searching for a relationship. You in turn know what to do. You know, it's reminiscent of some several hundred years ago as the first halakha books were being written. And uh, we're going back to the time of Tur. And uh, and afterwards, you have statements from Maharsha and others, Maharsha as well, Bishalom be Aluria beforehand, in which they're bemoaning the fact that all of a sudden there are books with halachot in them. Oh, you couldn't find anything better. It makes things clear, and without saying it explicitly, but basically saying it through in between the lines, they say halacha is becoming mechanical. Halacha used to be what we did. We knew what to do. It was agada for us. You couldn't distinguish. What do you do? I, I know what to do. I don't need to read it in a book and then practice based on what the book told me. I know what to do. That's a vision, so to speak, of ge'ula. That's what the Gemara tells us, מיום שחרב when you lost that revelatory existence, when you're severed from the source, so now you need strict instructions. Now you need someone to tell you specifically, Uh, listen, I think for example about myself in terms of rearing my children. I hope that my children at some point won't need to turn to me for instruction on what to do in this situation or that circumstance. Now, if I have the ability to instruct them, give them guidance, I'd be very happy to do so. I'd hope, though, that through instruction in the initial stages of their lives, through them watching if I'm doing this right, through turning to the proper role models, at a certain point, it'll be instinctive. At a certain point, it'll be natural. At a certain point, there won't be a severing of David and Moshe. They'll be one and the same. It's the Gemaraid Maseich Pesachim and Dach Mundaleid as the book Vezot Li points out, as the Gemara over there has another one of these funny statements. It says, there were seven things created before the world was created. Among them are Torah, and Beta Mikdash and Shemosh Mashiach, the name of Mashiach. Now, the name of Mashiach was right back there in the Gemara in Sanhedrin. Once it says Mashiach, it says, Well, what's the name of Mashiach? There seems, seems to be an affiliation between these two Gemarot. And his suggestion is Torah, well, that's the Moshe. Beta Mikdash, well, that's the Avodah, that's the Shirovitish that's the David, it's Beta Mikdash of his sons, David's yearning, and so forth. And Shemosh Mashiach, I'm suggesting, is the merging of the two. The vision of the hachamim very clearly as I understand it is one in which, yes, we won't deny it. We live in a world in which some people are driven one way and others in another. And we have difficulty, especially the lawyers in the audience, understanding you're really going to tell me that good feel, that nice inspiring way of life is going to determine for me law. Law is clear cut. Law has instruction manuals. Alternatively, maybe law could and would be something that just is based on an understanding of a relationship. As I uh, walk into my home every evening, as I speak to my wife, I'm not reviewing the uh, Hatan classes, the groom classes that I received uh, years uh, uh, ago before I got married. From time to time, I think about it. But uh, in the scheme of things, I'm not reading books per se on a consistent basis to determine what do I say and how do I act in this circumstance. Certainly that that forms a certain foundation that gave me a certain structure, but now it's expressed in a natural fashion. Halakha, if we're reading this correctly, was always supposed to be that way as well. It's true, there's destruction. It's true, we no longer have that sort of relationship. We've been severed. As a result, we need to do it in more of a static fashion. I bring you forward in uh, turn. Uh, yes? Uh, does the Gemara suggest that each of the different Batem and Josh thought they were performing that perfect union? Because they said, Vashtho, and he says, oh, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. The 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 last uh, yeah, the, the okay. la- that's that last that last Gim- statement in the Gemara is what's the name of Mashiach? There's right. got to be interpretations to all that. Uh, it's, it's, you got to listen to the Perik Halek shiurim But in terms of Rav and Shimuel, that would be and did cross my mind as I was preparing a fascinating thought and uh, exploration to be had. Is Rav and Shimuel separately? Are they defined by an appreciation, so to speak, of Agadah versus Halakha? In other words, could you find the statements elsewhere in Talmud in which this is their drive? That would be a fascinating thing if you could pull that sort of, that off. And Rabbi Hanan, B'yohanan is not sorry because Rabbi Hanan is the Eretz Yisrael one. So right. that very much would link us to he brings the unity to these sorts of matters. I'll bring you forward though, just for a moment or two to conclude in this, to tell you that I do believe in the last, uh, last period of time, and over the course, as I said, of, of moments in our Jewish history, we have come closer to merging the two. I can't say that we're always, or always will be uh, perfecting this. I will tell you it's dangerous, it's hard. I can tell you there are, there are denominations of Judaism, conservative and reform, who will tell you, you got so carried away in halakha, that you lost Agadah. Lehavdil, but not so much, Christianity was very much birthed out of that as well. Anyone knows the history of, of Christianity. It was, you rabbinic Jewry are so obsessed with stricture and structure, you forgot about love and passion and fear and awe. So there has been from destruction of Mikdash a severing, purposefully and, no, and, and, and knowingly so. But there have been moments and there are circumstances where they've come together if you look, for example, in source number 14, for source number 14 is a Perush on Sidur. It's a Perush pir- on Sidur, it's an ancient one. It's from Rabbi Yehuda Ben Yakar. Rabbi Yehuda Ben Yakar was one of the rabbis of Ramban Nachmani, Rabbi Moshe Ben Nahman. And in his commentary to the Sidur, without getting into the specifics, he cites that Midrash we began the class with. The Midrash was David HaMelech turned to God and he said, please, can the Tehillim count as Talmud Torah? And says Nefesh God never answered him. You see, the answer was no. Says Rabbi Hudah ben Yakar, not speaking to him. He precedes him many hundred years. He says, absolutely. Tehillim is an expression not only of tefillah but of Torah as well. It's For that reason, by the way, there's conversation. It's a wrongful conversation, if you read the teshubot and f- fully understand it, about saying tehillim at night or not. Or can you say tehillim at night? Well, you're not supposed to study Torah Shpichtav at night. However, tehillim, well, which one is it? Is it Torah or is it tefillah or is it in some way both? Well, again, the statement over here is tehillim is my Talmud Torah. Shalah HaKadosh in source number 15. Shalah HaKadosh his name was Rabbi Yishaya Halevi Horowitz. He's a contemporary, a little bit afterwards, Maran Rabbi Yosef Karo. He's from Sifat, 16th and 17th century. And again, that's the time period during which Kabbalah and Halakha are very much entangled one with the other. And his statement is, you know what we do? We read Tehilim, just reading the bold words for our purposes now, reading Tehilim brings you to prayer, connectedness, real life experience, relate while at the same time being Torah, being that halacha, the structure, the determination of what to do. That's the answer. That's the answer of God to David, so to speak. In truth, most recently, in source number 16, a book that was published a few months ago, the Hanhagot of Rabbi Chaim Kaniyevsky, Zichrono Livracha, Sha'alu et Rabbenu, avrech matmid hazakuk li Yeshua kama inyanim ve yom et kol There's an individual who spends his life studying Torah, and he reads tehillim every day. Is that, ha'im yesh bezeh bitul Torah, is he wasting his time, instead of studying Torah, reading tehillim. Now, mm-hmm. A strong adherent to the nefesh way of life would say, absolutely, tell him to spend his time in the Midrash, no tehillim. What's the response? Veheshiv shelo. He said, no. Sheharet David ha alav shalom. ki ve'aholot." After all, David requested this. The response to Rabbi Chaim said, but don't you know nefesh ha Nefesh ha-hayim says God never answered him that it could count a tehillim, that agada is halakha. Said Rabbi Chaim Kanievsky, do you think God wouldn't answer favorably to David HaMelech? But do you understand what the point of that story is, at least in my mind? That was a vision in which we've drawn away any of those barriers. We've taken them down and we've said you can and should and will in your life, in the business, in the prayer, in the anything, find an expression of what we call Halakha. You can and should find Torah in anything that you're doing. In the book, Teshubot vehanhagot, in Chalik Aleph, in Siman Nun Zayin, that's Rabbi Moshe Sternbuch. Rabbi Moshe Sternbuch is a descendant of Gaon Mivilna, and uh, you'd imagine he's going to be vehemently opposed to reading Tehillim in such a fashion. Doesn't count as Talmud Torah, he writes Explicitly. Tehilim is a great expression of Talmud Torah, not just of prayer. I'll conclude with this, the Gemara and Berachot and has the following statement. It says, Miyom So that's, that's our expression, from the days of destruction of the Mikdash. You should know the gates of prayer have been locked. Even though the gates of prayer have been locked, the gates of tears, are still left open. What's the Gemara expressing? What's it describing? What the Gemara is describing is how our relationship with God after the destruction is no longer natural. Uh, words of prayer are no longer easy for us to express. Halacha, mechanical actions, I'm coupling it with that Gemara and davhet, is what we're about in this relationship. We've become reading the instruction manual and acting accordingly instead of knowing how to open our mouths and speak our hearts. Says the Gemara, but you should know there's still an opening. It's through tears because tears is when we do, in fact, find a personal expression of it. The statement in turn, as I'm suggesting, is the Gemara when it told us in the onset of this class that from the Day of Destruction of all we have is halakha and that's all that's left. That's not an ideal that it just be halakha. That's the only way you've found to connect to me. I mentioned this in the context as well of Harambam in Perakalfi Dalit. Harambam famously over there talks about how we got prayer as it looks to us today. It says Harambam, how did prayer come about? He says, Once upon a time, Simon, Morris, Jack, we opened our mouths and we turned to God and we said what it was that was bothering us. We spoke to him about our passion for him. We described our way of life to him, but exile befell our people. And as a result, we no longer knew how to use our mouths appropriately. As a result, our vision, our concept, our understanding of prayer was lost. And therefore, in a moment which was necessary but not ideal, we got a canonized prayer book, a Sidur Tefillah, something which tells us what to say in an ideal world, in a world in which the barriers between agada, the way of life, the organic, natural, healthy expression of ourselves to God, and halakha, what we do, are not separated but rather torn down, well, tefillah is something which is easily expressible to God and in our worlds, our words, it's halakha itself. It means that the expression of tehillim, tehillim as our paradigm, as our example, using tehillim as testing this, as dealing with, well, what is tehillim? Over the course of exile, tehillim has been transformed. People have lost themselves in tehillim believing that's all there is, negating halakha. That was the fear of Nefesh about the Hasidim. His way of suppressing that was saying not so much focus on tehillim. An ideal life, that which ironically has been expressed in recent times as one in which agada that life which we live, the organic expression of a relationship to God, and halacha, the law, the structure that governs what we do, are enmeshed one with the other, that we find not only agada we not find only a philosophy and a mode of expression in what we do, But what we feel can and will be translated into what we do as well, that is, in my mind, that's the yearning, that's the hope, that's what we're searching for. It means that although you'll find the uh, Musar individual and class and you'll find the halacha, individual and class, the ideal, as the Chachamim are telling us again and again, the ideal in our relationships with one another and certainly in our relationship with God is one in which these are enmeshed. Where I open to the Torah and I read a story and I understand how to act as well. Where I read a story about a law and I understand how to think as well. To understand ourselves as holistic individuals, not as bifurcated, separate, dichotic uh, people who walk around with two ways. I know what to do and sometimes I think about how to how to express myself with my heart. But rather one and the same, that's the life and law of expression through Torah, through mitzvot, through ironically, tehillim, Done right, Baruch Adonai Berolam. Amen, and amen. amen.